Welcome to Kashrus on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. And we have a wonderful show tonight. I, saw, I know I say that all the time, but you people are asking me to get guests, and I have three guests tonight. Not one, not two, but three. And the topic, a very interesting one. So tune in, stay here. We'll be here for the next hour. I have as my guest tonight Rabbi Chaim Brook, who is the uh, Lubavitcher Shliach in Montana, the whole state. <laughs> He's got it all for himself. And I have Rabbi, and I have Mr. Uh, I have two uh, young uh, Bachman from the Yeshiva who were helping Rabbi Brook out in uh, Montana, traveling across the uh, state. They were calling them in the papers, they called them the roving rabbis. David Lepkefer, Kifker, and Eli Chaiken. They'll tell me how to pronounce it a little better. Anyway, uh, without further ado, here are my guests. Go ahead, please. Are you there, Rabbi Brook? I'm here, I'm here. How are you? Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem. Let me just say hello to the other young gentleman over here. Rabbi David, we haven't even had the chance to talk. How do you pronounce the last name? The last name is Lepkifka. Okay, I'm tried. I, I'll do it a little harder. And Ellie, you yeah. there too? Yes, I am. Okay, very good. Uh, this the, Obviously... Not only did you make it into the papers, but in, in many people's hearts, you made it in with a very, very major way. Rabbi Brook, start, start us off. Tell us how this project, describe a little bit about the project, and tell us uh, how it developed. How did you get the idea? Well, why don't I start backwards a little bit? I'm going to start, I'm going to go back to the original. Okay. In, 19, in 1956, the Lubavitcher Rebbe sent his first, uh, the first time that he sent two rabbinical students to the state of Montana, Rabbi Benjamin Klein later became one of his secretaries, and Dr. Professor Rabbi Yitzhak Block of London, Ontario, came on a Greyhound bus to Billings, Montana in the summer of 1956 and started visiting Jewish families, selling what was called then the Talks and Tales, which was uh, oh, sure. you know, Jewish famous. literature for children, famous, and selling famous. Jewish books. They, that was, that was famous. <laughs> that was one of the most yeah. famous things, sure. Like the Olamina, so, but it was fantastic. Right, right. And so it, it started in 56 and continued for over 50 years. And in the summer of 2004, I was asked by Lubavitch World Headquarters in New York to, along with a friend um, who today serves as the Chabad Rabbi in Bend, Oregon, um, we both traveled to, to Billings, and we started a month traverse to the state of Montana. We started in Billings, and we ended eventually... In the Kalispell uh, Whitefish, Northwest Montana area, and it was a wonderful month. You know, we visited over a hundred Jewish families, and, and from there started a, uh, I wouldn't say a revolution, but I, I guess in the end, in a sense, it was a revolution, a spiritual revolution of Yiddishkeit in the state. There are uh, various reform, you know, conservative renewal congregations in the state of Montana. There was not an Orthodox presence in Montana in over a hundred years. Wow. And uh, it came back when my wife and I married in 2006. We visited Montana together to see if it was a, uh, if we think together as a team that this is where we want to spend the rest of our life until Mashiach comes. We decided in the summer of 2006 that it was. In March of 2007, we opened up the show of Bozeman in Bozeman, Montana, which is 80 miles north of Yellowstone National Park. It's 45 miles north of Big Sky Ski Resort. And it's an up-and-coming micropolitan, they call it, and we started uh, working with the Yidden. And uh, as, as you mentioned, this summer we had the great honor of Rabbi Eli. You call them Bachram, they're rabbis, they're ready okay. to have smicha, they're oh, ordained. I didn't know, I didn't know. Rabbi Chaikin, Rabbi Eli Chaikin, and Rabbi David Lutzkiska joined us. Uh, Eli's from Cleveland and David's from New York, and they joined us for a month 
of going around, and this summer the focus was on Kashrus, as you mentioned, and to really create an awareness. We live in an era where you think with all the internet, Google searching, and with all the knowledge available online, that people would be more knowledgeable, but that isn't necessarily the case. People are only knowledgeable about topics that interest them. But if they're convinced that they know everything about the topic, as, if they're com- as in if they're convinced that Kashrus is not eating bacon and ham, and uh, they heard once that you should have two sets of dishes, and that's all they know about kashras, then we need to debunk the myth by education, by, by literally going out door-to-door, house-to-house, individual-to-family, and educating people about kashras. So we printed a full-color brochure called Montana's Kosher Shopping Guide, which has a list of some of the most prominent, visibly prominent kosher symbols in Montana, and uh, along with some basic information about what is kosher fish and what is kosher shit and how do you play with Get Caitlin, how do you mercy of vessels for kashras and the bracha that you make on it? It's not a very long brochure, but it's the basics, and it gives people a simple opportunity to become more aware of how they can incorporate kosher in their life. And it, it was the Rebbe's idea. Forty years ago, when the Rebbe started in the 70s, the Rebbe started this campaign specifically about kosher. Um, it was not about getting everyone. Of course, the ultimate goal is that every single Jew in the world wherever they may live, should be fully observant and kosher. And we do our best here in Montana to make that a, a possibility. We have tr- refrigerated trucking that comes in from a, a wonderful company in Minnesota called Weinberg Brothers Kosher Spot. And it comes in whenever we order, every two, three months, about you know, 10, 15, 20 families order together in bulk, and we have a refrigerated truck that comes in. So if someone wants to observe kosher 100%, of course it's possible. In our home, in our Chabad house, we keep Bishli Yisrael, Pat Yisrael, Chol of Yisrael. We don't have any compromises. But even if someone's not ready for that, either because they didn't grow up in that type of an environment or they're mentally and emotionally not ready to make that leap, we make it available to them by letting them understand that by every little increase that they do, every time they want to order something trade from the restaurant and they don't, every time they want to mix the, put, the, put the cheese in their meat lasagna or... They, or, or uh, you know, or, or, or go to an event at fish and they're dying to have the non-kosher fish in their sushi and they choose to have the kosher sushi, even though it's not 100% because it's still not a kosher restaurant, but it's an act of kosher, and that act binds them together with the rabbinic oil. For those five minutes that they're eating the food because they chose to eat kosher, that gives them a kesher, a, a deep bond with Hashem. And, and no question in my mind, there was no question in the Rebbe's mind, that that would have a domino effect in their spiritual growth. Let me ask you, Rabbi Brook, how do you understand, or David or Ellie, how, how do you understand why they would make that choice in a non-kosher setting and living in a non-kosher setting? What would motivate them to do that one act that, of course, being perished from a Nevera is considered a mitzvah? But how would they, how would they think of that when they're when they're locked into a non-kosher uh, lifestyle and uh, environment. I, I, I mean, do any of you guys, David, Ellie, you guys want to answer that? Um, well, I think that's one of the main messages we try to bring across. Again, I think one of the ideas that Chassidus um, stresses is not just, is how every single mitzvah is a connection with the Abish there, and when they become aware that every step is not just an end towards a goal, but is a step of connection with the there, so even if they're not ready to go all the way yet, you know, they we're trying to make them aware that that step itself is is a connection, and uh, you never know when it could, uh, you know, manifest itself. 
And I, I'll, I'll add to that, uh, Rabbi Whitler, that uh, the, the Jewish heart is alive. We shouldn't fool ourselves. You know, when you live in Brooklyn, and I, I grew up in Crown Heights, so I know when you live in a, in a, in a sheltered, firm environment, sometimes we, we get the feeling that the Jews out there just don't care. And the truth is that most of them do care. They just don't know. And so when we offer them that great tidbit, that great piece of information that every act that they do creates that inner bond or brings to life or reveals the inner bond that just never they understood, they run to it. Now, again, does it mean they're going to transform overnight? Of course not. Does, do any of us transform overnight? If I lived in Sanai, Tabarra Park, and, and, and Hashem tells me to do X, Y, and Z, am I able to do it overnight? But it's, it's a lifelong process. We are Jews on a journey. But to answer your question, of course they're responding, because the Jewish heart is alive and well to their Father in Heaven, whether they're ready to admit to it publicly or not. Yeah, but I understand that. I accept it. Question. But in their mind, they're talking about intelligent people. I don't keep kosher. You know, Rabbi, why should I do this one act one day, one so, time? So you what? turn the tables around. Okay. They say they don't keep kosher. You say, why not? <laughs> Uh, and they start acting and becking, they start connecting. They don't really know why not. Why not? They, they say, well, it's too hard. Oh, and then if they say it's too hard, you prove to them that it's not too hard. You say, listen, when you go in the grocery, you can right. pick five companies of pasta, and only one of them is an OU or an OK. Why not pick the one that's kosher? Is that really too hard? In other words, you debunk the brother mice by proving that it's really doable. Let and me, so let me when you turn the, the tables... Yeah, so let me hear some some of the from the two fellows here. We hear two rabbis, Rabbi David and uh, Rabbi, and Eli. Maybe you'll tell us how that worked in practice. Because I mean, you went into the, uh, you, you invited people. I saw the pictures. You invited people to go to you with you into a supermarket. Uh, what was their feeling about that? And and and, and how did you? Uh, what did you able to get across in the supermarket to them? So. Um, yeah, as to your question about uh, why people would be interested, okay. um, so I'll start with the actual visit in the store. We went with a young girl who was, I think, just around Basmith's age, who had absolutely no idea what keeping kosher really meant. Um, and we just walked up and down the aisles, and we showed her how many products are actually kosher. And um, it's really not that difficult to keep kosher. And that really happened in many, many different houses. As you asked, why would they be interested in doing it? When you start talking to them to, um, and telling them about kosherus, and they say, well, I don't keep kosher, you actually point out to them how most of what they're eating is available in kosher. And that completely changes their perspective about what it's all about. And were they receptive? I mean, give us some idea of what, I mean, what did you consider to be a success. What was, you know, you're going to, I think you went to 60, 80, 100, 80, 80 uh, uh, houses. You spoke to a, a few hundred people, maybe. Uh, how, what was considered to, when did you walk away with a, a feeling, we did it? What, what gave you that gishmak? The actual speaking to people in itself is a success. Um, just having a positive conversation with them and giving them a positive impression about keeping cautious and it being more available and accessible than you thought it was, is just, um, successful in itself. But we did have, obviously, instances where people said, well, yes, we'll work towards, if not every product that we have, but some products that we buy anyway, look out for kosher symbols and get them in a kosher way, that's a major success. And, I, and I'll add to what uh, Ellie said, is that I'm getting the response. So today I get emails 
phone calls from families around the state who had the honor of being visited by the by uh, Ellie and David, and they were they were they really appreciated the fact that these guys slept out sometimes seven eight hours away from their headquarters in Bozeman. They slept out to visit you know one or two Jews that lived you know literally in the northeast corner of Montana, where you're bordering Saskatchewan and Manitoba, North Dakota, very very far from where we're based. But they went out there. And uh, the families emailed me or contacted me, and, you know, we're so grateful that someone cares enough about their observance of Kashrut that it, there's no doubt in my mind for a second that they're going to take what David and Ellie shared with them seriously because of the, 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 the realization of how these, these two individuals had su- such a concern for their spiritual well-being. I mean, and, 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 and we're talking about the schlepping out. I mean, there were days that they were, they were traveling to places where I couldn't even book a hotel for them on Expedia because there's... The only hotel that exists in these uh, places are the mom and pop hotels that, you know, the last time it was fixed up was in 1952. <laughs> and, uh, but when they got to the city, for example, they got to a place called Sydney. They got, they got to a city. You there? We, of course we're here. Go ahead. Uh, they got to a city called Sydney, Montana, and they, uh, they had the honor to, to take a 14-year-old boy, a Jewish boy from South America. I believe he was from Ecuador and put on film with them for the first time in his life, because they just found out a few years back that the Bubby, the mother's mother, was a Yiddish lady. And so the bunch of the whole Yiddish family today, they didn't know that they were Jewish. And because of the Bachrim having the opportunity to meet them in a random, or well, obviously not random, because everything that's got to this, so, but, but they met them over there in, in Sydney, Montana, and put on film with, them, with this boy for the first time in his life. And they were so excited, they were taking pictures of his bar mitzvah, and, and it's impossible that that won't have a, not, forget about a, 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 for a week, for a month, it will have a lifelong effect on this boy, on his family, and the future generations that come from this family. And so we can never, we must never underestimate, underestimate the, 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 uh, the, 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 the holiness and the long-term effect that that one act may be even for 30 seconds, maybe for 10 seconds, but it's La'adul Oyelmeilom that has a kiel mitzvah, an eternal survival and, and continued prospering in, in, the, in the generations and lives of this person and, and those that will come after. Oh, very good. Let me ask you this, uh, uh, Ellie, David, when, when you went to somebody, didn't they ask, I mean, when, how, how did you get over the initial question of why keep kosher? What, what did you tell them why we keep kosher? Is there is, is, the intellectual, the child, the, did they challenge you at all in, you know, in... Uh, in questioning. Yeah, well, of course, um, you know, you have to speak to everybody at his level, and there are tactical reasons that it explains in Svarim, um, you know, various reasons, at least for some parts of, of Kashros, so you could speak about what the Ramban says, for example, that we don't need predatory animals in order not to acquire those, uh, those characteristics of predatory animals, because what we eat you are what you eat. It, the, it becomes part of your bloodstream, and it becomes part of you. And, uh, you know, that's just one example you could share. Um, obviously, many people bring up the, <clears throat> you know, what everybody says today, that for then it was for, you know, health reasons and all that. And, um, you know, you have to explain that, obviously, you can't chalk up everything to health reasons. And, um, when you know, you know, there's the idea of hooking that you don't understand every mitzvah. And uh, ultimately, whatever we do understand is because of the Eberster's chesed that he, he revealed to us 
a, leave a little bit understanding of some of the mitzvahs. Um, but again, you speak to everybody on his level. You see who you're dealing with. You see what what speaks to him. And uh, again, also just re- you know, just showing them that it's easier than they think um, definitely makes them more interested. And how do they react? I'll, I'll to add it. You go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. I'll add a story. We met a we met a Jew in one of our you know one of our last days in Montana, and he you know we told him we're here to speak about kosher, and he started complaining that kosher means heavy food and it's bad for his system, and he keeps a very you know uh, he keeps a, a diet where he stays away from grains and heavy foods, et cetera, et cetera. So kosher is not for him. In other words, in his mind, kosher meant eating gefilte fish and shalim, you know, kosher style. And when we explained to him that um, kosher, <laughs> kosher is whatever kind of diet you're eating, you can make it more kosher, again, that opens up their eyes. You're speaking about people in Montana. They don't necessarily have, you know, so much knowledge or whatever it is. You're, you're just showing them that, it, you know, that it's easier to follow Torah than they think. And, uh, yep. and I think, uh, Rabbi, I think one of the things is, is that we underestimate the power of telling someone the simple, most basic thing, that this is the prescription that the Kaddish Baruch Hu gave for you and how you should eat. If you went to a doctor and he told you that you shouldn't eat this and this because of your heart, especially if you already have a heart condition, there's a good chance you'll listen to him unless, unless you live in Borough Park and then you might rethink it and go get a second opinion. But most people, if a doctor tells them not to eat certain food, you won't eat it because you don't want to kill yourself. If you tell someone, listen, there's a guy, there's an, there's an entity that's greater than a doctor, and that's the doctor of all doctors, that's the Kaddish Baruch Hu. And he gave you a prescription. And he said, every time you do an act following my description, it's like a spiritual exercise that makes you closer to me. It, un- it ensures that your spiritual arteries don't become clogged. Can I prove it? No. But if you believe in the Eberster, and you believe that there's a God, and God, and you believe there's a prayer, then in the book of Leviticus it says so. And when you say it, and just that simplistic thing that God told you, that it's better for you, so whether they'll agree with you at that moment or not, but it's stuck in their head stuck in their head that there's a unique description, there's a unique, there's a unique diet. And I said to one of the reporters in Montana recently that there's only one diet that's God's diet. There's fit for life and herbal life and, <laughs> and the Weight Watchers and Start Fresh and then Atkins and Schmatkins. There's a million diets and in King Byway they have a sense of each one of them. But in reality, there's only one diet that the author is like this Baruch and that's the kosher diet. And as long as you can knock that into people's heads and the more you talk about it, the more you start bringing with people about it, the more they get it, and eventually it's part of pool also. And, how do you, and uh, all of you are going to ask the question, how, how do you feel they reacted to the kosher part of your visits as opposed to the other parts? I mean, you were there to talk about Yiddishkeit in general, not only for kosher. Uh, how, did, how was their reception to the kosher aspect? This was, is this really rather unique, uh, Rabbi Brook? Is this one that we haven't done that much in the past, or is it, it's been, how did, in which way is it different this year, the 40th year, well, different than the 39th? Two, two years ago, we decided that it's a, it's a nice thing if we, if we add a unique touch to every year when the Bokram come out and visit. And so last two years ago, we made a big campaign about mezuzah. That every Jew, I got a sponsor, um, memory of my grandmother, who passed away at around that time, and that every Jewish home in the state of Montana, if they don't have a kosher mezuzah on their front door, we will sponsor the first mezuzah of their home. Beautiful. And to date, to date, over 200 homes in Montana have a mezuzah as a result of that campaign. But not only in Montana, I get emails from 
um, from Jews living all across the country. It started only all across America, but now I get them from Brazil and from Argentina and from, from uh, Holland. I once sent them mezuzah to Holland. They, they emailed me saying that they saw this online, and they, well, they also need a mezuzah. They're Jewish, and they can't afford it. It's a, a single mom, or I lost my job, and I need a mezuzah. And so what I do is I connect them with their local Chabad representative, their local Chabad spirit, and they reach out to them. So a Montana campaign about mezuzah is now having a ripple effect across the globe. And so this year, after two years of really focusing on mezuzah, I was thinking to myself, what can we do that is practical? Meaning, uh, one of the Rebbe's campaigns was about Tarif and Mishpach, and I'm sure, you know, family purity and the importance of using the mikvah. And I'm sure we built a mikvah, Baruch Hashem, but I'm sure there'll be a time I'll have a, I'll have a, easy, I'll have a unique way of sharing that with people. But it's not the easiest thing that when you come to someone's house to start talking, especially when the three Yeshiva Baruch it's not exactly the topic that's going to go well. And so I was looking for one of the Reddit campaigns, especially as a correspondent with the 40 years, and I said, how can we get closer uh, to every Jewish home in Montana? The answer was simple. Print a guide that they can take with them. It's pocket size, it's purse size, it's wallet size. They can take it with it. It's in full color, so it's clear. It's to the point. It doesn't have the entire Shulchan Aruch, and uh, it doesn't have the Mechaber and the Vizyazim, and the Tzur. It doesn't have everything, but it has the basics for an average Jew to know when I go into the grocery, instead of er- ordering... Uh, uh, shrimp, I can order uh, flounder, and by just by doing that act, I am now keeping kosher for that moment, and while I eat it, and so this is uh, making it the focus is really uh, creating a theme throughout the entire state that this way the Jew from Great Falls that speaks to the Jew in, in Kalispell or the Jew from Missoula that speaking to the Jew in Billings says, "Oh, did the rabbis come by your house too?" They had a whole conversation with you about kosher, and it creates an environment where kosher becomes a topic of conversation, and the result is guaranteed, which is. An, an increase in kosher observance. Okay. Uh, by liquor, by the yeah. time we're done, you're going to have people in Montana signing up. Besides for the couple that you have now, you'll have ten, tens and tens of families signing up for the Kashrus magazine. Well, I'll tell you, I'm going to I'm going to say something now, which uh, it's it. I don't say it started with this little uh, operation here of having you people on and what you people are doing, but I I was I, I thought of an idea and, and I'm I'm going to offer it to you first. Literally, it hasn't been. It hasn't been printed. It hasn't been said. Not in this radio show. I'm going to offer uh, as much as we possibly can. We're going to give a free one-year subscription to Kasha's magazine to every person or family that became kosher. If you if you get any of your people uh, to become kosher, and again, kosher is we're talking about kosher and kosher. They're saying they want to be kosher, they want the house kosher, they want to live a kosher, they're going to try to be kosher. You get a person, you're going to tell me Rabbi Brook, and I'm going to give them a subscription for the year. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing, because uh, I, I know, for example, in two weeks from now, I have to set up an appointment with a family in Bozeman that's been keeping kosher for the most part, you know, they're, they're, they, they buy their meat from our truck and their chickens, they still eat out a little bit, but... They finally reached the point where they said to me last week, the husband and the wife, they said, we want to do the kitchen. We want to kosher the kitchen. And they have a big dilemma because one of their uh, family, they have a family set of dishes that was passed down to them from grandparents and it's made out of uh, ceramic and uh, they were, you know, they're right, not kosherable. Right, right, right. But the bottom line is we're going to kosher their house. And so when they go fully kosher, I'll make them the first candidate to you say to them that it. once they're done, I have a, a one-year subscription for you for this. And, and there's no question in my mind that it'll be a, a positive influence. And, and I enjoy reading the Cautious Magazine, so I don't doubt that they would, too. 
I thank you very much for that. But, but I'm going to get to these young men again. I want to know, what was it like going around keeping kosher yourself? It's not so simple in Montana to get kosher food, as we understand or we've heard. And you don't have that frozen, that, that the refrigerated truck traveling with you. How did you people go around for about a month? What did you eat? What could you buy? Um, well, since every Shabbos, we did go back to Rabbi Brook. Um, we were able to pack up in a cooler, and obviously buy ice on the way. We were able to take meat with us, uh, you know, things like things that you can't get in the supermarket. And then we would have our weekly uh, trips to the supermarket to buy, you know, vegetables or whatever else, the basics that any Jew would keep anywhere he flies in the world without meat. But Baruch Hashem, the, the Shliach was there to provide us and like he provides for other members in his community to provide us for so that we didn't feel uh, we didn't feel that far away from New York. Stand um, get, get a little away from your phone because it, that's making a reverberation. What, what about how did you cook the food up? I mean, you didn't make a fire in the back in the back of somebody's house. They're not, they're, they're not so picky. The Lubavitcher Bucher, we travel the world. You take a can of tuna, <laughs> you cut up a few vegetables. And you call it a day. By the time you're done, by the time you're done, 15 hours of visiting people's homes, and you finally crash into your hotel, all you want to do is uh, finish your shurim, daven mayrim, and go to sleep. And you eat a little something in the gate weiter. Rabbi Brook, you can, maybe you can fool the people who are listening, but I spoke to these boys before, and I know what they did. <laughs> so they're going to tell me that they 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 can't. Yeah, well, with well Baruch Hashem, you know, thanks to the uh, to the to the and everything, you know, it's it's so much easier today for the Bachim who are traveling worldwide. But uh, it used to be, and I'm sure in some places it still is that way, that they would pack matzah and tuna with them from New York and. Uh, right. That's what they would survive on for a month, two, or whatever it is. So we're lucky that they we're also, in this, uh, They also were gifted, Rabbi Wickler, with something called a George Foreman. You ever heard of him? I know, I know the George Foreman <laughs> and the sandwich maker. I know that they had those things. And that, there you go. What, so they, they packed into the hotel. And and it shows you could do it. You could you actually could live without even anything uh, major. You could get around almost any place in this country. Yeah, which went actually connects to your earlier point. A lot of times when people would say, "Well, I can I can't keep kosher here in Montana," and they would say, "Like, how are you guys doing it?" So we would say, "We're gone for a full week from the bit from the from the headquarters in Bozeman where we're based out of, and we're doing a fine job." And that would give them another way of seeing it, and it's possible. It's an opportunity. I think that I think it's also an opportunity to to perhaps enlighten the people listening in New York and around the globe, wherever they are. That is, I get calls from. Beautiful from Jews from all over the East Coast, all over the world, actually. They're coming to Montana, to Yellowstone, they're coming to Glacier, they're coming for a conference, they're coming to this. Um, and they want to buy kosher food. And their first assumption is that Chod Yisrael, Bishul Yisrael, and Pas Yisrael is out the door. And there's no way that they can keep that if they're in Montana. And the truth is, that isn't true. Of course you can keep it. There's a will, there's a way. Everything's possible. From all my years in Montana, I think only twice did someone contact me and say, I need, I need holy stroll cheese. Why? Because they're schlepping and they're going into the grocery and they're buying non holy stroll. For what reason? You can buy a holy stroll. It's good for your soul. And so it's an opportunity to teach not only the hidden in Montana, but to teach your listeners in, in um, you know, in the film community a very vital lesson, and, and that is that everything is doable, everything's possible, and if there's a world, there's truly a way. I'm going to ask you just, uh, every, everyone who's listening now, if you'd like to call in, we're going to take calls, uh, but not on every topic. We're going to talk about what 
these people are talking about, you don't talk about Montana, but you can talk about talking to people who are not necessarily, who are not yet prum, about kosher, or you can talk about Kirov in general, anything you want to talk about. We have now three one fantastic guests, and we want to be able to utilize them. I'm going to just take a moment to talk about our sponsor, and then we're going to get right back to our three guests, who are Rabbi Chaim Brook, Rabbi David Lepkefer, and Rabbi Eli Chaiken, who, uh, who are been working in Rabbi Brook, who works in Montana as the Chabad Shaliyah for the whole state, and uh, the the only Orthodox representation, I believe. And uh, the young two young gentlemen assisted him for the last four weeks, visiting all across Montana. They visited between sixty and eighty homes. They 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 took people to supermarkets. They explained about kosher, and uh, we had a wonderful half an hour speaking with them. And we're going to join them in just a minute. So call in now at seven one eight. 683-5858 I'm going to give the text number but I don't think there's any problem people are texting all the time here 347-927-8398 347-927-8398 Rabbi Brooke before I even get to my uh, to my sponsor I want to tell you a secret okay I'm listening you know you're on the radio for your secret right? <laughs> I, I, I don't think it's the radio. I think we're talking on the regular phones. Um, I want you to know that I've been sitting here for four years, and there's a little thing on my right, I mean, my left, actually, uh, which is the printout of all the texting. And I have never, in all the time I'm here, had so many texts while I'm sitting over here. And I want to tell you what they're saying. Uh, this is probably one of the best shows in Kashmir's on the air. There, this, show, this shows there is hope for our teenagers. Uh, I, they, they, uh, these boys are not teenagers. These are not you know, these young men here in their twenties. But um, they, they, they blessed me with health and success. Uh, they want you to know that uh, they, they, they're saying the mezuzah story is amazing. Uh, these rabbis are special. These Chabad people go to remote locations or what Kiddush Hashem it is. So this is what's coming in like a stream. I want you to know. Can I, can I say something? Can I say something? First of all, that, that's very heartwarming because, to be honest, when you live in a place like Montana, having grown up in Crown Heights, you know, you have your challenging moments, and to hear, you know, the Jewish community has always been so supportive, but to hear that, you know, live, coming in live, as a live stream as we're speaking, is very touching and heartwarming. But if it's okay with you, everyone, I just want to say that if there's anyone out there listening that uh, really loves what we're doing, we survive thanks to the support of the loving people around the globe. And so if you go to jewishmontana.com slash donate, you can make a donation. We're in the process of trying to build a $2 million new shul so we can host all the front people that come in the summer as well as the locals. And so if someone's out there that's listening, they're looking how to get a tax, uh, a tax refund, uh, you know where to find us. Okay. Uh, before, before we get uh, to our callers, some people started calling in already. The number here is 718-683-5858. Again, 718-683-5858 to speak to Rabbi Brook and uh, Eli uh, Chaiken and David Lepkevger. Now, we're going to talk a minute about our sponsor, which is Glotmart, conveniently located at 1205 Avenue M. When you think of Glotmart, you should think of price, service, convenience, and quality. Whether you shop for a, full I- a few items or for a full wagon load, you can save plenty of money by shopping at Glotmart. And at Glotmart, you can save time by using their valet parking service. Just pull into Glotmart 
out from the East 12th Street entrance. They'll park the car and have it ready for you to load up with all the special items that you purchased in the store. And right now, at Glatmart, it's on sale until the end of tomorrow. Uh, family pack filet steak, $9.99 a pound. Minute steak roast, $11.99 a pound. Beigel's Rainbow Cookies, $3.49. Geffen Cup of Soup, $0.69. Cents. She bowled them chocolate or carb rice cakes, rice chips, I'm sorry, uh, $1.99 for 3.5 ounces. Nature's Own Apple Juice, 64 ounce, $1.99. Those are just some of the items that are on sale, and Glatmart has a big a list of sale items every single week. Um, you can see it on what's on sale, and uh, at at Glatmart, the quality of the meat is A1, with kosher certification from both the Star K and the Vatakashas of Flatbush, with base Yosef meats and with expert Nikor. At Glatmart, you're getting quality kashras. Glatmart is at 1205 Avenue M, meaning your shopping needs is their top priority. If you meet Dove in Glatmart, tell them you heard about Glatmart on Kashras on the Air over J Root Radio. And now let's get to our first caller. Go ahead, please. You're on Kashras on the Air with Rabbi Wickler and Rabbi Brooke and Ellie and David. Go ahead, please. You're on the air. Okay. One second. You're on the air. You're on the Hello? Air. Yes, you're on the air. Turn off your radio. I wanted to make a comment on the health aspect of uh, eating kosher. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, two scientists got Nobel Prize for discovering that eating fat produces heart disease. That has cholesterol in it. And, and produces heart disease. In the Torah, so 3,300 years ago, it says, you shall not eat fat. But many, many times, at least two, three times. If you eat fat, I put my face against you, I will punish you. So if you, Torah is a tree of life. If you take hold of it, you keep it, you, you leave. The Torah told you what something 3,000 years ago, but people discovered that about maybe 10 years ago, got Nobel Prize for it, that you should not eat fat. Other things, things also come with that. Every, every Torah says, the crossroads world, but you can eat uh, fish only in the ocean, only something that feeds and scares. People eat, eat shellfish and many other animals from, from the sea, and you can eat every year, but people get sick of it. it it's, it's not healthy for you. Yeah, also, the medicines are made, made the same thing from a, from a call, and it was the same medicine made from a pig. And for the pig, 50% of people allergic to medicine which made out of a pig. And only 2-3% of people are allergic for a medicine made out of a call. But the, but, the, but, the, but the bottom line is, what the, what the rabbi had said earlier, is that really we have to teach people that it's a chayk, that, it's a, that, 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 that uh, observing kosher is God's uh, decision of, 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 of a prescription for what we should eat. It's our diet. Because if you're going to go into this idea of this is dangerous and that's dangerous, there's nothing more dangerous than the kind of Jewish diet the people are eating, and they're, they're becoming uh, uh, bloated, they're becoming sick. Or, uh, the Jewish diet that we have 
is, is we're, we're not we're not keeping up. Are we doing an article in the next issue of Cautious Magazine about childhood obesity that's coming out in the, in September? We're not preparing ourselves for to raise our children and take care of our own lives properly. That this answer is true. That yes, there are aspects of keeping kosher that may prevent us from certain things. But the real answer is that we have to do what Hashem told us. It's a chayk. And as far as the thing about the fats that you mentioned in the beginning, the fats that they're referring to in the Torah are only we call chaylev, the forbidden fats. Shuman fat itself is was always used as a uh, in, a, in a Jewish cooking. They used to have gribbiness and and they used to eat fat. The people that duck uh, and the goose, the goose, the fat of the goose was considered the the, the best part of the, uh, of the of the of the goose. It, it definitely it wasn't the way you're saying about the about the fat. Yes, there is forbidden fats, but that's not that they're worse than the other ones physically. It's a spiritual problem, and I think the rabbi said it very well a little earlier. I thank you for the call. I, I want to yeah. commend you, Rabbi, for adding that the discussion about childhood obesity to your magazine, because you're right that the spiritual health is not, conscious has nothing to do with health, but there's a separate mission to say about keeping your health intact, and uh, doesn't mean you have to be a raw vegan, but uh, it wouldn't hurt if we learned together as a team. You know, I grew up in the same type of environment as you were driven as a rain galore. But that isn't necessarily the best thing for our health. There's plenty of ways of, uh, of eating kosher and healthy, and that's a good discussion that we should have in the magazine. Absolutely. I mean, I, and, there's, and I think it's a, a good thing for you to use also, Rabbi Brook, when you're talking to these people about kosher, because that's a very big misnomer. People think that, uh, that, that Jewish people and kosher people don't know how to eat. And Listen, I've had flight attendants offer me... Uh, and tell me that they blessed us. So, I mean, I'm sure many of your listeners have had this yeah. experience. Surely. So there's a lot of misnomers, but the, 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 there's a lot of secular Jews or people that are not yet from, which is what I like to call them, because eventually everyone will be from. Um, but there's many people that are not from yet who uh, they, 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 they disdain kashras because they think that it's all about eating the fattiest, greasiest foods on earth, and we can educate them that they can eat Actually, the less fat you have, the easier it is to keep kosher. If you go vegan, your kosher challenges will become very minute. Right. Uh, we, anyone like to call in? The, the lines are open right now. It's 718-683-5858. 718-683-5858. Um, there's plenty you could talk to Rabbi Brook or myself about or to the uh, young gentleman who joined us, Ellie and David. Now, let, me, let me ask you, uh, before we get anybody else calling in over here, uh, Ellie and David, when you came back to Brooklyn, although I know David was there before, but let's say he has gone out and, uh, on one of these programs before, but what did you bring home? What did you tell people? What do you tell people when they talk about Kiruv? What, what do you tell them about your experience? Um... The first thing that, that stands out is, as we've touched on before, how open really people are to hear about uh, Yiddishkeit, about connecting to the Eberster, doing another mitzvah. Um, when you're not in touch with these people throughout the year, you might think it's more difficult to reach out to them than it really is. Um, and the second thing is 
and you're, after going around for four weeks telling people how they have to take a small step in uh, strengthening their connection with Hashem, it kind of uh, comes back to you and you wonder to yourself, do you ever make that change yourself? Um, when you grow up in an environment where they're constantly doing you or you think you're constantly doing what you're supposed to be doing, um, you ever take a moment to yourself and think, um, when was the last time I took a, even a small step to become closer to the there. So, saying it for four weeks to other people also makes you think about yourself a little bit. Very good. What do you say? I want to add to what Ellie said, and that is, and one of the major things that they accomplish in their, their schlepping around on time is that, you know, we, we don't just send them around and the Jews good. We now keep in touch with them. Every Jewish family in the state, we send them a full color, uh, you know, for every yunt of a full color, uh, not a brochure, but a, a magazine called Montana's Jewish Voice. We invite them to events. We connect via email, via Facebook. They, they've they come back over one month, and they brought over 25 new Jewish families that I never knew existed in the state of Montana that now are in touch they're in touch with the, with us, and they they will be will get all the mailings, and they'll be they'll get get all the knowledge will be, will be provided to them. I mean, they put on someone with a guy who lives only uh, about fifty five minutes away from Bozeman near Yellowstone National Park. I think he originally grew up in New York. They met him at the gas station with a big tattoo, but with that tattoo, that beautiful hand of his was wrapped uh, in film, and uh, for the first time probably in 40 years, you know, since his bar mitzvah in the Bronx, you know, back in who knows when. And so these are these are the cherished moments when HaKadosh Baruch looks at the world. He says, oh, the Jews in Yerushalayim are learning Taita. The guys in Karnaita are davening with a minion. The guys in Zara Park are learning Dafyaymi. And then he says to himself, okay, very nice. There's something better for them to do. They're doing this because they're hidden. They grew up with that environment. They know they know all about it. They were raised that way. But then he looks at the Jew living in, in Miles City, Montana, or Glendive, Montana, and he sees the first time in his life a or a woman standing and comes home an extra 45 minutes early from work so she could bend Shabbos with because the Bakram told her the importance of lighting Shabbos candles. And HaKadosh Baruch looks at that and he says, oh, now the world is really a step closer to Mashiach coming. We've got to finally bring the Gula because the Jews are showing that they're they're truly worthy of it, and, and that, that the heart is alive. And, and Rav David, you want to tell us uh, in which way this was different than last summer's experience? Um, well, certainly. I mean, last year I was in a place where we were dealing mostly with Israeli backpackers after the after the army traveling through South America. Um, you know, so they're at a different stage in their life. But in Montana, you're going to visit people in their homes living their regular life and here you're you know you're you're trying to encourage them to, to take one more step for from today already from tomorrow in their homes where they are where you're meeting them so it's definitely very different and as Ellie said you know I came back uh, to New York and when I go to buy something to eat I'm also much more conscious because of what we were telling other people. So, of course, everything I'm buying here is for kosher, but maybe just to be careful a bit more, um, you know, another hit or whatever it is, because you're, because you're teaching other people. Um, and also, of course, as I mentioned earlier, um, it also, going to a place like Montana um, also makes you so much, you know, so aware of, you know, how different it is and 
when, as Rabbi Brooks said, you know, when the Bachar went down in 1956, and they were, they were living off tuna and, and matzah, and thanks to all those who are in the kosher, in, in try, involved in trying to make kosher available for Yidin everywhere, so you see, you see also the wonderful work that they're doing when you travel to a place like Montana, and you see how, how much you could buy, and uh, you don't have to live off, uh, you know, tuna and matzah and I, I want to take I want to take a moment, Rabbi, Rabbi to uh, to thank the Chabad World Headquarters and Rabbi Kotlarski at the, the office of the Roving Rabbis, who really organizes this Renaissance of Jewish life. Not only in Montana, but you know, there's there's hundreds. I think about six hundred students, so about three hundred young peers of rabbinical students, young rabbis, summer, and uh, you know, uh, really okay, that uh, that should inspire every Jew. To know there are guys like this out there that are really doing sure that uh, the Nidach that not be God forsaken and that says in the book, you know, the Ebrishev happened to look to Hashem Jew, and that's the work we're doing right now. Every single Jew, individual, it's not a mass production, it's not commercialized, it's not hundreds. Oh, we're not, we didn't build, we didn't make a football with lines out of people. It's all about the individuals. Well, we lost them. We lost everybody. Who do I have? I'm here. Okay, we lost the voice. Do you want to get him back? You have, you have the... Uh, there it is. I'm sorry. Okay, Rabbi Brooks, since we lost them for a moment, tell us a little bit about uh, how things have developed for you, and maybe even more about the people who come to visit you in the parks. What... Give me some of the uh, types of uh, people that have come across and some of the things you've done with them and, 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 and impacted in their lives. A lot of people go to Montana. A lot of people travel across the world with using Chabad. And a lot of people, let's say, going out to some of these attractions that are in Montana, and then they somehow navigate themselves over to you for Shabbos. Give us a little bit of understanding what that's all about. We opened up shop in Bozeman um, every summer between late May and early September. We host uh, visits, you know, the modern Orthodox to Satna from K. We're losing you, Rabbi. He's off. Okay. We'll try to get him back in. Are they, is Ellie there and David there? Yes, we're here. Okay. So let me ask the two of you. Ellie and David, what do people, you, you know, you, you have friends who didn't go this summer, and uh, you have re- your relatives. What, are, what, are they, what is it, you know, when you talk to them, what do they find especially interesting, and what, are they, what is their reaction to what you did? Well, first of all, many of our friends do go, so it isn't such a novelty, Baruch Hashem, it isn't such a novelty. Um... Obviously, there are always amazing stories that they're interested in hearing. They're very encouraging. Um, you know, for my own family, every year they get to hear about different people in different parts of the world. It's definitely interesting. Um, not sure what else to add. Okay. Do you have Do you have any training before you go? Aside from, in, I know when you get to when you got to Bozeman, I'm sure the rabbi spent time talking to you. But do you have training in in Chabad? of what you're supposed to do when you go on one of these uh, uh, programs in the Ben Azmanim? Well, definitely. Uh, every year before before everybody goes out, there's a meeting um, which Chabad makes, 
it's actually mandatory for every buffer is going out to to attend. Um, discussions from ATIS, tips, advice, as well as technical matters, halakha matters. Um, but then again, after you leave, it's up to you and your own talents and your own to, to figure out how best to serve the people. And and how do you deal with sometimes, occasionally you get rejection? How, do, how does that affect you? I mean, a lot of people who try to do Kirov outreach, even to their neighbors or friends or people in the shul or whatever it is, sometimes you get rejection. Um, how, how could you, maybe you'll give some people some, a, a few tips on how to deal with that, because I'm sure not everybody you went and knocked on the door uh, embraced you. A certain number of people might have just said, uh, not, not now, or uh, I don't know if I'm interested. I'm sure you got a little bit of that. How did you deal with it, and how did you handle it with the people? Um, well, as a matter of fact, probably 90% of our meetings were positive. We didn't have many negative uh, occurrences. But even when they did happen, it's an normal thing that happens in life. I mean, no one's successful 100% of the time. But uh, the real truth is that even a, a negative situation is really positive because our, the work, as I mentioned a few times before, is really reaching out to the Neshama and reminding them that they're Yid, that they have a connection to the Ebrister, that they should do another mitzvah. And when they see us, that really happens. There's a reason why they don't like us. They don't like us because, not that they don't like us, they think they don't like us, but the reason why they, ha- they, have a, they have a negative reaction is because it reminds them of who they really are. And uh, they know that it might be difficult to live that way. So that the meeting itself, just them seeing us, is a reminder that they're yid, that they have an ashama, that they should do something about it, and um, and also that, that they could just be part of the the Jewish community when they're introduced to the shliach and they're in contact with him, whether or not they're they're you know interested or the so-called atheists, but they become part of the community, and you never know where they met, where that may lead as well. And did you meet any of the people uh, who drifted off from from homes? Nothing really sticks out. We had uh, maybe a few uh, people from Israel who were more informed, and they uh, left to the far corner of the U.S., but uh, I don't think we had any major um, cases of someone who was from, from home and left it. No. So, and uh, are there, what other Jewish opportunities exist in the... In Montana, I mean, the, there are some of these conservative reform synagogues. Uh, it seems that no other Orthodox synagogue has started. Well, you mentioned actually that the uh, book is not the only Chabad Shleach. By now, Rebbe oh. has already brought a second Chabad Shleach in Missoula, that's in the northwest part of the state. So Chabad actually has two centers in Montana. Right. And uh, uh, but but there's nothing else Jewish. There's no Jewish organizations of any sort. They just don't uh, exist. Nothing from for sure, not nothing orthodox. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I, we don't, I see no one's calling in, but and uh, the text stopped. I hope we are hearing out. Every, everyone hears us. Okay, I hope so. Anyway, we'll go, we'll go on to a different topic. Uh, you, you gentlemen both have smicha from uh, from from Chabad. Correct. Okay. And uh, the program. How much of the program? devotes itself to the connection with uh, other people. In other words, everyone learns your day, everyone learns uh, halachas, and then the things you have to learn, get smicha on, get bichinas on. 
but, but what? How do they teach? How much exposure do you have as young men in the uh, Chabad system? How much do you training do you have in dealing with the people that you'll deal with on these uh, trips? And also, if you decide to do shlichus, what? How do you get trained for that? Well, the truth is that most of us grow up in a in a set in a atmosphere where we're constantly doing shlichus. Um, both of us, our parents are shluchim, and we deal with. Uh, and I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. My father has a Chabad show there. So you grow up dealing with people, and even those Chabad Bachim that are not, there's uh, many opportunities to reach out to people who are not part of the from community and deal with them. There's a this setting that's called on Friday. People go out, you, you meet different people in different settings, and get them to put on fill-in, or try to get them to put on fill-in, and do different mitzvahs. So there's constantly opportunities to deal with people, learn how to speak to people, and then that's something that you pick up. Um, there are different uh, programs where they, you learn for smicha, and as well, uh, you may have uh, lectures from people who are on the shlichus and dealing with um, not yet from Yidin, and they have seminars on how to deal with them. But that's really something that we grew up in general with, uh, that kind of atmosphere of reaching out to people and talking to them and bringing them closer to Yiddishkeit. And uh, you, you, did you work with your father at all? You have helped your father out when, in any way, or just only in the summers when the, you went away, Ben As a child growing up, I haven't, I haven't lived at home for since I left the yeshiva. But as a child growing up, that's the atmosphere we grew up in. Yes. And Shabbos. Yeah, and my father as well has uh, is, works for an organization, a Chabad organization in New Jersey for Russian immigrants and their children. So. Which city I was is involved that? as well. As Which, city is that? Which city is that? Um, Elizabeth, Jersey City, Fairland, right. New Jersey. Right, right. I know, I know it well. Right, I know yeah. it very well because I, my brother-in-law is in, in Fairlawn. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, so uh, yeah, I know, know Bris Avraham very well. What does your father do with that? He's a. He was one of the people who were there almost from the beginning. And a whole range of, you know, arranging programs, giving shirim, visiting people in jail, adult education, et cetera, et cetera. So, so give us a little bit of an insight of the difference between uh, what you saw in New Jersey and what you saw in Montana. Well, I would say in New Jersey, it's mostly, you know, it's already an established community. You're dealing with people that are mostly... Um, you know, again, they're part of a community. You know, this, things are so much more accessible. Again, you have to try to reach out, and not you know everybody's holding at a different level. Here, we're we're going to people where they're the only Jew for miles around. You're you know trying to give them whatever information they could have, and you know sell them svarim. Um, back in the day, a big a big besides for the socks and tails, as Rabbi Brooks said, they used to sell them hitzur shulchanaruch. Right. Um, yeah, so it's extremely different. Um, you're, you're you're in rural America. It's nothing. I've, I've never really done anything like that before. Do they really have, an entirely different experience? Do they? Do the do the people that you met there? Do they have a positive attitude as being a Jew, or do they? Or are they so very confused about their Jewish identity? Everybody's holding somewhere else, but uh, but mostly yes. Again, they always have more to learn, but uh, not too much negativity. Yeah. No, I don't mean negative, but uh, some you know 
sometimes where they're, they, they're living that life in order not to be Jewish. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a decision that uh, I don't have to be Jewish anymore. That, that, that's uh, sometimes in that envi environment, that's how, how they're living. I mean, no, it's Fakad, uh, there's uh, many, many Jews that we met. They actually have their own little communities where they, they get together once in a while, and they're very proud of their Yiddish guys. They're very happy. They, just, uh, they may not know that uh, there's Tayyag Mitzvahs and have to keep uh, all the details of them, but the, the actual fact that they're a Yid, uh, the overwhelming majority of them are very proud of it. And how do they keep in touch with Rabbi Brook? I mean, do they, do they, have they have met him? Have all of these people met him? Or Not all of them. Many of them have. There's uh, email. People we looked at, we spoke to people who live eight hours away, and they're constantly in contact with him by email. The ones that live closer come by for a visit once in a while for a class, for an event. Yes, many of the people that uh, we spoke to that live far away, you ask them, you know, uh, do you belong to, I mean, the, the local reform temple? And many of them will tell you we're associated with the synagogue in Bozeman. They try to get down there every once in a while. Wow. Wow. And, and, do, and did anybody keep up with you? Either uh, David, did anyone from this group is going to keep up with you on email or texting or with phone or, or anybody from uh, your, your past experience with the, uh, the, the, with the Israelis? Do you have anybody that you keep up with after the program is over? Uh, yeah, some of them keep up, you know, keep up with us. And from, from their side, they initiated it, you know, after we left and... Uh, some of it has to come from our side, but uh, yes, definitely. So I want to thank both of you for joining us, and Rabbi Brook also. Somehow we lost him in the middle. <laughs> we don't know what happened. But uh, we, we, we thank you very much for joining us, and you, have, uh, you had done a big Kiddush Hashem, and we are, we're very happy that you were able to join us if, on the if I, could, if I could just add, if I could just add that you, know, you talk about us making the Kiddush Hashem, the Associated Press, in addition to the article that they posted about our activities, they posted a second article together with it, Again, giving basic guidelines of kosher. So the Associated Press was also involved in teaching Torah the basic ideas of kosher to uh, to a, a national and even more than that audience. So we were happy to be a part of that as well. It's a very that's a very major thing we're saying because Hashem reaches out to every single Jew, whether it's they meet the Chabad shliach or they read it in the New York Times or something else. There's an, uh, there's an article. Isn't that an interesting article about so-and-so, about this thing? A lot of, it's, it's, it's amazing how a Kaddish Baruch Hu can reach every single person with a message, whether they're ready to accept it right then or not. Thank you very much for joining us today. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, somebody's on? Somebody's not? Okay. We, ha we just want to end off with a, a mention of uh, a, a, an offer that we had for all of our listeners on JRoot. And that was last week. I don't know if you, if you all heard it, but some people did, and they responded. We're going to continue with this week. I don't know if we'll continue very long, but we did it this week as well. Anybody who would like to subscribe to Conscious Magazine can do so and receive a free book. The book is a 200-page book called On the Wings of a Child's Prayer, and which is 52 stories from the pages of Kashrus Magazine over the past 35 years. So if you're interested in getting Kashrus Magazine, this is the best time to do it because you're getting a free book that costs $23 and you're going to get it absolutely free with a subscription to Kashrus Magazine. So it's a $48 value for $25. If you're interested in the in this special offer, call us at 718-336-8544. Seven one eight three three six 
800-800-8544, the office of Kashrus Magazine, or you can send us an email at Kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. The number again, 718-336-8544. And I thank everybody for joining us this week, and we'll see you, speak to you again next week.